Hi everyone, I'm sending my warmest wishes. This is an incredibly difficult time for everyone, and we're all figuring this out as we go together. I hope you are focusing on your health and your well-being with your family. And to those directly affected by COVID-19, please know that you are loved and that you are not alone. We need to lean on one another right now, and that's hard to do as we socially and physically distance ourselves. But we have our digital connections. I've admittedly struggled with what to focus on as a podcaster right now. What I do know for sure is that listening to national news all day is frankly depressing. Now might be one of the best times to reconnect with ourselves and our loved ones, and perhaps to focus on some much-needed self-care, self-compassion, and our mutual interests that often get shoved aside. So, what's that noise carries on? Beginning with some archived recordings that haven't seen the light of day for quite some time. My wife Christina and I were in Germany for about a month at the end of 2019 as I was working. We used that time as an opportunity to also visit with some family who we unfortunately missed at our wedding last summer. Today's chat is with my second cousins, Georgie, Florine, and Elisa Stanku, Romanians who moved to Dachau, Bavaria, Germany about seven years ago. They have an incredibly uplifting story to tell, despite working through numerous challenging circumstances. In the coming months, I will also be sharing interviews with my friend Des Cox from later in that same trip, who will reflect with me on his nuanced and experienced perspectives on the world of computation and all of the confusion that comes with that. I will also be interviewing a former fellow of the Surveillance Studies Center named Raziel Miranda, a friend of mine who is a PhD candidate of political science and administration at the University of the Basque Country in Spain. I am also excited to announce a new special series that will run alongside these episodes. In association with the University of Texas Press, I'm very pleased to share with you in the coming weeks, My Shadow is My Skin, a collection of timelessly powerful experiences and reflections on the Iranian diaspora in America, which is masterfully edited by the first guests in that series, Layla Emery and Catherine Whitney. In the meantime, if there's anything we can do for you here at What's That Noise, don't hesitate to ask. Please be well, and please be safe. You're listening to What's That Noise, the podcast that pursues matters of confusion and clarity, however and whatever that means. Here's your host, Tommy. In October of last year, my wife Christina and I returned to Germany for one month. Many of you might recall that we lived together in Bochum, a city in North Rhine-Westphalia where I worked at the Center for Advanced Internet Studies during the summer of 2018. I was fortunate enough to return for some brief follow-up work at the tail end of last year. It also made for a great time to visit family who we couldn't see at our wedding. And it's an opportunity that my wife and I are grateful to have had, especially seeing now that our subsequent follow-up trip to Europe this summer has been indefinitely postponed. My wife, Christina, 
is Romanian-Canadian. She immigrated to Canada with her parents, Nettie and Gabe, along with her older brother, Cosmin, when she was around 12 years old. Some of her cousins moved to Germany, including Irina, who lives in the exhilarating village of Fungstadt in the state of Hesse, which is not all that far from its capital, Frankfurt. But today, we chat with Georgie and Florine, who moved to Dachau near Munich, the capital of Bavaria, with their wonderful daughter Elisa and their lovely Hund Hella. This story of the Stankus in Dachau is an uplifting and refreshing one. This episode is as timely as ever, not only because it is a story of championing hardship and restarting entire lives in a new place without sharing any common language with the locals. This episode is also timely because it is a reminder of the importance of perseverance, cooperation, and mutual support when faced with overwhelming uncertainty. The Stankus are not strangers to difficulty, and their selfless commitment to their family life and to their daughter Elisa is a source of inspiration. No matter where you live, what you do for work, or how much money you make, you are okay. Now don't get me wrong, this is not a reification of the American dream, or the pursuit of happiness through some unrealistic ideological myth where everyone in the world has the same opportunity and resources required to make it. Like my wife, my brother-in-law, and my parents-in-law, Georgie and Florine lived in the Socialist Republic of Romania under Marxist-Leninist one-party communism. Until I met my wife, I understood life in Romania prior to the fall of the Berlin Wall to be rather difficult. Those difficulties find a voice in this episode. What will also come out is some confusion and even some tension about what it meant to live in Romania after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Before they left Romania seven or eight years ago, Georgie was an events coordinator for a major promotions firm, and she was a tourism office manager with an enviable jet-set lifestyle. Florine was, and is today, a passionate cook, a gifted self-taught hairstylist, and a phenomenal card player too. But as you'll hear, widespread political corruption, as well as failing judicial and medical systems, compelled my new family to leave in search of better opportunities for their daughter, Elisa, and for themselves. By a middle-class North American standards, the Stankus do not live a life of luxury. Georgie is now a full-time house cleaner and Florine is a chef in a retirement home. They are some of the most loving, accepting, and happy people living in the moment that I know of on this planet today. Their story and their lives are truly heartening. On your left, you'll hear my wife, Christina, who is going to translate for Georgie and Florine, who you will hear on your right. My wife's translations are superimposed over top, so for you Romanian speakers, I apologize if the timing of the translation is a bit off, but where the audio converges, there is a lot of fun and laughter that I am very grateful to share with you today. The stun coup story begins before they stun cooed together. So about 19 years ago, they were at a. At, she was at a bar with uh, with another couple, uh, drinking coffee, and uh, I, at that time the internet wasn't 
kind of the same as it is now. There was a, this thing was connected to tra- chat. And everybody would kind of write a message, and then if you liked the little message that they wrote, they, you would call them. So they, they wanted to have some, some fun and kind of make jokes at somebody else's expense or make fun of someone. So they, they found a message that uh, wasn't written correctly, grammatically correct, instead of uh, having written the, the female form of looking for a partner. It was the male form, so it was written by a guy saying, I'm looking for a partner. And of course, at that 19 years ago, it wasn't so open. So they were like, okay, we found the person to make fun of. So uh, they uh, so they thought the best thing to do was for the guy to call the guy so they could you know have some laughs and so he started started off the conversation uh, and then she was just laughing her ass off and she was the loudest one of them all so uh, then Florino was like who are, who are you there with and obviously he couldn't say you know I'm here with my girlfriend and my girlfriend's friend so he was like I'm here with my sister. And her friend, and uh, so Florian was like, "Let me talk to your sister's friend," because you know she heard her laughing in the background. <laughs> so she, she started talking to him, and she really liked his voice because uh, you know his voice was a little different. And then she was like, "Well, where are you right now?" And uh, he was saying, "I'm at the at this park, right, like um, young people's park." And then she was kind of covering the the speaker and she was like where is this place her city and then she was like well why would you lie to me there's there's no such place here in my city and he's like obviously there's not you know it's in it's in Bucharest he was out with all his guy friends and so they were all kind of talking to each other just to have some laughs and And then she was like, I, I want to keep talking to you because I, I really like your voice. So they, they had this special offer on on their cell, on the cell phone network that it was kind of a one cent per minute on the weekend. So she'd wait because um, he would call her every weekend uh, Friday after midnight and talk until Sunday at midnight um, until the deal was off. You guys just constantly spoke for the whole weekend? Like on the phone or just... You would call it a few times throughout the weekend. Uh, yeah, they mo- sometimes they talk the whole weekend. Sometimes they'd call each other, and he would sometimes uh, call her from work pretty often. And that lasted about a year. And then he came to her city. Which is four hours away? No, three. Three hours away mm-hmm. to see her? She yeah, and it wasn't like a, a huge thing, but they spent a weekend together. And then they sort of kept talking, but it wasn't as often as it was before. And then, so she got a call from him on Valentine's Day and and she said, well, why are you calling me? And he said, well, I just wanted to tell you that I love you because it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> and then she thought, that's it. He's the one that I want to. <laughs> be with I want to stay with 
Oh. <laughs> Apoi am aplicat eu la o, la o universitate din București, special ca să fiu cu el. Și m-am, și m-am mutat la el acasă. <laughs> And then she applied. <laughs> And it's not from the beer. <laughs> <laughs> And then she applied to a university in the capital and then she moved in with him when she got it and then they lived together for about six years and then decided to have their their actual wedding get married and then (laughs) and then two years later they had their daughter Elisa. so was she was Elisa your daughter born in romania or germany she was born in romania And how old was she when she moved here with you? And I understand that you guys didn't move together, right? So he he came to Germany for the first time in 2004 for a short contract for four months. Four months. So when she was she was pregnant, three months pregnant with their daughter, then their friend who is. Uh, Lisa's godparent, godfather, um, got a contract here, a long-term contract, and he um, thought he might be able to get a long-term contract in Germany as well, and since she was pregnant, she thought that would be a good idea. So then when they moved here, Elisa was a year and eight months when they moved here for good. Is the contract part of the reason why you guys picked Dachau? I mean, for a lot of people back home, predominantly North American listeners of our show, the idea that a Romanian might go to Germany might not be unusual, but this particular area is a little bit strange, it seems, because you're in a very quiet suburb, we're in Dachau, and Germany's a pretty big country, <laughs> maybe not in comparison to Canada, but there's a lot of different places that, that somebody could go, right? So why why did you end up here? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, Dachau isn't just a quiet city. It's a pretty big city, and it's close to Munich, which is in Bavaria, and contracts in Bavaria are well paid. So what what year are we looking at that you guys came over? So this would have been in 2010 that he moved here, and then she came here in 2011. 2012. 2012, actually, she was... So she's been here for about seven years and a month or so, and he's been here for about nine years and a half. Hmm. Hmm. The distance from Romania to Germany on a map might might not seem very significant, but I can imagine it wasn't an easy transition. What, what was the biggest challenge for you guys leaving Romania and coming to Germany? Aside from one of you going first and then the other one coming <laughs> later. Care a fost partea cea mai grea, da, cea mai dificilă din tranziția între... România și Germania și nu partea care că ai fost tu primul și după aceea a venit ea. Da, cred că cel mai dificil a The most difficult thing was probably the first year that he was working the contract because after you work here for a year then you can sort of apply for permanent contract. Definitiv. Să poți să muncești în continuare. 
that's that's how it was before it's not like that anymore but after you've worked here for a year you could apply to work here permanently so in a in a sort of a difficult environment such as working in a restaurant you you weren't really sure that you'd be able to get that permanent contract after the year. And, I mean, working in a kitchen is really difficult and you're under constant pressure and you're always rushed. There's always deadlines and you're always rushed by the chef. So there's constant pressure. It's it's really sort of high stakes. Uh, every They all have a system and it, that part is difficult. I mean, he would have to work 10, 11 hour days and when it got to rush hour, he'd get a lot of um, orders from, from clients and you have to move and, and get everything out really, really fast. So not only was the day long, but there was periods of, you know, constantly going. Na, că noi n-au spus de italiană, nu, nu știu probleme, de afară, na, primoară trebuie să... When he first started working here, he was working with a lot of Italian, so the challenge was actually to speak Italian. <laughs> so he had to, so he actually had to learn how to speak Italian, and there, there's a lot of challenges. You know, because here you have to open a bank account and uh, get your paperwork in and, and talk to the uh, like the, the city hall, but all of them helped each other out. So they would, you know, they'd go and pair someone who spoke better German and they'd help each other out to get all the paperwork and, uh, and get everything in order. They'd just help each other out. When I moved to Germany last summer, one of the most, no, The most difficult thing I had to deal with was opening a bank account. I went to every bank in Bochum and nobody would let me open a bank account except the, the post office. So for people who aren't familiar, Postbank, <coughs> whatever, mm-hmm. they, they're a post office bank and their requirements administratively are a lot lower than most of the other banks. So I didn't need to have like a house registered with City Hall and 16,000 other agencies before they would open up a bank account. But that still took me like two days of doing stuff before I could get a bank account. Oh, I couldn't get paid until I had this bank account open. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people know listening to this, and Georgie's laughing, which I love. Um, Germany loves its administration. Like this country loves paperwork. Were, were there any other weird administrative hurdles that you had to overcome aside from banking? Yeah, there's a there's some challenges with her uh, sort of registering for German language school and then with um, Elisa registering for kindergarten and then for actual school and then for after school programs. So there's there's challenges that are sort of ongoing and nonstop administratively. There's a huge issue with the, the health insurance through his work um, because initially when she had to have some dental work done, she, they, have to, they had to spend a ton of money on translators and to get all the paperwork in. And um, initially everything was approved, but then they turned around and they denied all, all the claims that she had previously put in. How long did it take you guys before you felt like you were settled? And I know that's kind of a loaded question. 
because you guys work your asses off. Păi 8 ore pe zi sunt 40 și ceva de ore pe săptămână, nu? Păi muncești câte? Muncești 21 40, de... 40, 40 de ore, de ore el. 40 hours a week for him. Și pentru mine programul diferă. Lucrez 6 zile pe săptămână. Dar dacă fac o media orelor care lucrez, sunt 6 ore pe zi. Mm, and she works 6 days a week, but probably if she um, averages it out, it out it's probably ends up being about 6 hours. 6 hours a day, 6 days a week. Uh, has been settled so and he rides his bike to school and it doesn't really to work sorry it doesn't really feel uh, impacted so much by the traffic eu pentru mine a fost greu în primul an primele 7 luni and initially it was it was difficult especially the first 7 months for her because um, she had nobody to talk to and didn't, didn't know the the language and he would be out of the house he wouldn't come back come back in until about 11 o'clock so um that initially was difficult but after school um, after she finished the language school it was a little bit easier and um she drives she has to drive she's the one that drives so um but she doesn't find the traffic that difficult eu sunt cea care mă duc cu Alisa la școală o iau de la after school și She drops Alisa off at school and picks her up from the after school program. So uh, usually the the six hours that she work that she spends at work with the back and forth kind of turn into ten hours. So she's she's gone on average about ten hours a day. So the the big the big question then is why leave? Am I sure? Am I? It's a bit more safe and secure here. You're, you're, you know what's coming tomorrow and you feel secure in the fact that the systems kind of set you up um, for success in a way, the, the work system, the education system, um, and that um, knowing that you're able to keep working and knowing that you're able to, to spend the money that you earn working. Um, is in a way comforting. So they bought a car. I mean, you can't, you don't buy a car with cash, but you buy it on on credit and there's assurance there. And there's assurance in the fact that uh, you can pay for a private after-school program that you know that someone's looking after your kid and doing activities um, with your with your kid um, and that you can afford to pay someone to take good care of them. Education system and the healthcare system and all the systems in in Germany it's incomparable. Even though in Romania they wouldn't have paid rent because you usually live with your parents, so you live rent free, so you don't have to necessarily buy uh, an apartment. Um, and even though you're working, you can't afford to um, get a loan for a car. You can't, you know, you can't put that on credit and. Uh, you can't pay for an after-school program, and if you wanted to buy, like, a really nice winter coat for your child, you can't afford that there. You have to buy something that's that's kind of crummy, and even though they don't live in luxury, they can they can afford to 
to save up for and buy nice things with their money. Most people who are familiar with the show are going to know that the Berlin Wall came down in 1989. And most people associate the end of hardship in the same year. Berlin Wall comes down, Soviet Union collapses, prosperity pursues. So eventually the European Union expands, liberal democracy takes hold. So what's different about Romania? Well, <laughs> I'm actually really glad to see you laughing because I'm going to learn a lot here and I think our listeners will as well. But what, what didn't change after the wall came down? What made living in Romania so difficult that would make so many people want to leave? I mean, if it wasn't for the Soviet Union, I wouldn't have met Christina and her family wouldn't have come to Canada. And don't get me wrong, I'm not thanking the Soviet Union. But can you give us a sense of what life was really like growing up there? The problem is that before communism fell, um, sure, you didn't, you didn't, couldn't say what you wanted to say. You weren't free in that way, um, and. There, you didn't have a way to sort of spend your money because you didn't have stuff available in stores. Like there was, there wasn't much food or or other things. And after communism fell, the difference was that you could buy everything. You just couldn't afford it, so everything was available. You just didn't have the money to buy it. Shame. Din momentul în care a căzut comunismul, totul s-a eliberat, toată lumea a putut să distrugă toată And this has been happening up to today, 30 years later. Um, and for example, you you can there are families and people who are kind of garner control um, and hold the reins to a lot of things. So if you finish a university program, you can't get a job because they have them all. It's really important that people don't get the wrong idea. It's not that Romania is a bad country or it's it's necessarily diff that it might be unlivable. There's there's two very different classes of people. There's the very rich and the very poor. There's no middle class. The middle class does has no longer exists. It doesn't mean that they don't miss home and that they don't they wouldn't want to return or they don't want to return. Though for the moment it's just it's just not worth it and it's just not doesn't make sense. When going back, it's, it feels like she's a tourist. She's a guest. It feels like home here. The people have to change in order for systems to change because every time they've gone back, it seems like the people themselves are getting worse, more mean-spirited. Um, they they don't show anybody any respect. There's there's garbage everywhere. They just you know the people have to change. 
have to, in a way, start caring. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Not everybody, just... It could be also that ever since they've been living in a sort of a more civilized place, civilized society, potentially they're giving things importance that they didn't give importance to before, seeing things differently that they didn't notice or didn't see before. What's the what's the number one thing about Germany that you love the most? Pentru noi că suntem o familie cu copil, ținem foarte mult de sistemul de învățământ și sistemul de sănătate. Pentru, nu știu, pentru noi For a young family with a young child, it's really important for them that the education system is as it is and the healthcare system equally important, not that they've had to use it a lot, but it's it's comforting to know that when and if they need it, it's there and it's it, it works well. You know for sure that you're going to both go into the hospital and also come out alive. It's comforting. That's so morbid. It's so morbid, yes. It's the truth is, you know, that it, it's happening and there's, that there are people who are going into the hospital fairly healthy for routine procedures, such as, you know, sort of a, a to clean, there was a case not too long ago in which someone went in to sort of clean out their bowels and they, they perforated their bowels and otherwise seemingly healthy guy just died and there's many cases in which you go in with the flu or whatever and there's so many viruses and bacteria in the hospital that you you don't come out alive after hearing that you had to leave for specific reasons i hear that you're very grateful i hear that you work really really hard and that because you're here and you're taking care of your daughter and you're building a lives together, you have built a life together and it's beautiful. <laughs> you've, you've crossed off a lot of check boxes. What makes this really, um, humbling for me, really sobering for me is knowing that if you work really hard and you keep things in perspective, you're fine. It doesn't matter what you did before. It doesn't matter what people say on TV. It doesn't matter what the media says. You just work hard and it'll pay off. And this kind of runs up against a very specific problem, a, speci a very, very specific cultural problem in the U.S. called the American Dream. No, objectivul nostru nu e să facem mulți bani și cred că nimănui, adică nimănui de aici crede de la masă nici I objective is not to make lots of money. Money is not the objective. The objective is to be able to be safe and healthy and bring up their their child in a way that protects them um, from a lot of really awful things and helps their their kids their child go through challenges in a in a and be able to overcome them and then for them um when it comes to settling down into retirement to be able to stand on their own two feet and not have to base the the amount of 
of living that they do on on their kid and then the, they can support themselves and i mean that's their objective you know to help their kid overcome challenges and and be able to for everyone in their family to stand on their own two feet not have to um you know receive handouts from anybody else no matter who it is Yeah, I mean, he plays poker, and the, the goal there is to be first place, but he he very rarely thinks about the money that comes with it. You know, it's about, like, maybe you make your money back, but you're not, you're not thinking of the, 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 uh, the pot of money that you could potentially win. He just wants to be the best in the online poker. <laughs> But she, she thinks about it. It'd be nice <laughs> to win the big pot of money <laughs> in the poker tournament. From what she's seen on TV and what she knows about American life, there's a really big emphasis on having nice cars and nice clothes and things of status jewelry and wearing you know kind of this showiness but here in germany things are are really different because there's the people who are very very rich they don't put this emphasis on showing off their wealth if they're really really rich they still respect you as a person no matter who who you are and she knows this because you know uh she goes in to to clean their house and and look after household chores in their house and yet you know they consider her a member of the family and and sit down to eat with her to dinner and if they have money and as most of them do um they pay and spend their money on experiences such as traveling And there's not, you know, you, you might be rich or you might be poor, but you're treated um, a similar way. And everybody kind of treats each other with respect and not with as much uh, emphasis on image. Probably one of the richest family, the elite families of Dachau that she works for. The, the husband rides to work in a, on a bike. He doesn't drive a car. He goes to work on a bike. He bikes into work and, you know. <laughs> yeah, and like he just got it from a um, secondhand shop and it's sort of, you know, rusty and stuff like that. And sure, they, they live in a, in a nice house, but it's pretty modest. And they invest their, their money in different ways. You can't, you know, see them on the street and say, this guy, you know, has money. You, you can't tell whether or not they have money. They invest their money in other things, not in a way to show off their status Dacă mă întreb pe mine, eu cred că sunt, uh, his, his opinion is that you know there's that people are similar everywhere that I mean there's there's extremely wealthy people here and extremely wealthy people in in the states for example and I mean the difference is where they invest their money and how they look after their money but it's not necessarily that you know that And I mean, everybody would want to have lots of money, but it's not necessarily in a way that potentially, you know, is sort of showing off their wealth or whatever. In America, there are people with a lot of money, but in the same way as in Europe. They don't know how to manage it very well. I think that if you have money that you have, 
I mean that the money that you get through hardship and, and work, you're gonna you're gonna enjoy that money more, and you're gonna you know you're not gonna spend it on frivolous things like you know showy clothes or or fancy cars. Of course, you know if you if you get money through an inheritance, you're gonna blow through it because you don't feel it, you don't care, you didn't make it. Um, but once you work hard for for the money that you do get, you start to appreciate it and the things that it can buy. <laughs> that's, that's why they appreciate what they have. <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, the most important thing is who you share your your life with and not how much money you have in your bank account. The best part is when your kid comes up and, you know, gives you big hugs and kisses and gives you lots of love and says goodnight and then, you know, the dog does the same thing. <laughs> that's that's the really nice nice thing. In, in life. So <laughs> Or in the morning when she wakes up with, you know, like really, really big sort of sleepy eyes and she's like, oh, good morning. <laughs> kind of looks at you with that face. <laughs> cute face. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into another episode of What's That Noise? If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have a topic or guest in mind, don't hesitate to get in touch on Twitter at WTNCast. And until next time, keep listening to the noise.